It's good to be with you this evening, and I hope you are as excited as I am to be in the house of the Lord. Um, it's always a good thing to come to the house of the Lord, and it's always exciting to sing his praises, and it's exciting to fellowship with those who also hold Jesus dear. This evening, we are going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His resurrection is something we can look at and rejoice in over and over and over again. In fact, it is good to keep ourselves from becoming like the Catholics or the Anglicans who only view certain subjects at certain times of the year. We need to continually be reminded of who and what Jesus is. And so to do that, let us go to the book of John. And we will go to verse, uh, to, sorry, to chapter 19 and 20. And don't worry, we won't read all of the chapter. Um, <clears throat> John chapter 19 and 20. For those of you who don't remember... Jesus had already been through the Garden of Gethsemane. He had been betrayed. He had been tried. He had been bruised and beaten. And then he had gone to the cross. And we will pick up in verse 30 of John chapter 20 and quickly run through his crucifixion because without his death, there is no resurrection. Uh, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already. They break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith there uh, came there out blood and water. And he saw that bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken." And again another scripture saith, They shall look on him on whom they have pierced. And we started there because we want to see Jesus was truly dead. When we consider the resurrection, we also have to consider the way people often try and debunk it. They will say there are no miracles, that Jesus wasn't really dead. But here we have in this passage Jesus giving up the ghost and everyone around recognizing it. Not just the common people who were sitting there and beholding his death, but also the soldiers considered him to be dead. And then they tested their theory by stabbing him in the side. He was truly dead. And in verse 35 there, it's very um, difficult to uh, read in the English, but it says, And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true. That's a little bit 
convoluted way of saying this is known and we have the testimony. It's twice written down. Notaries have signed it. This is the truth. And the reason it is given to us is so that we might believe. Often we say that we need to believe in Jesus for salvation. But we need to believe that Jesus was truly dead. He did not merely suffer, but he died. This brings us now to the part that leads up to the resurrection. Verse 38 through 42, and we see Jesus' body being taken and prepared. We find that Joseph of Arimathea, he came in verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then they took the body of Jesus, wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never man laid. There lay they, Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. One side note. There are no, no, um, nothing is, happens by accident. (laughs) This wasn't an accident that there happened to be a tomb that was just finished, that was ready for a body, but no body was laid in it. It, didn't, it wasn't an accident that this was nigh at hand. It was close so that they could place Jesus' body there and still be within the time for um, preparations for the Sabbath. This was not an accident. But more importantly, to get back to the message, Jesus has died and now he's being buried. He is being buried in a way that leaves no room for doubt. When they would bind someone for burial, they would wrap them fairly tightly. And they would wrap these spices close to their body as well so that the smell wouldn't um, offend. But they would wrap the body tightly. Even if Jesus had somehow not been dead to this point, wrapping him tightly and throwing him in a tomb is not the way to revive him. Okay? That's not the way it works. If you wrap someone tightly, they find it harder to breathe. So Jesus was laid in the tomb. Now let us look at chapter 20 and verse 1. We have seen Jesus is dead, Jesus is buried, and now in the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and she seeth that the stone is taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they both ran together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. 
Then cometh Simon Peter following and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he, that is Jesus, must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. We have here the resurrection. But if you notice, there is something that is missing. And we're not talking about the body. That would probably be your first guess. The the body is missing. But notice what is not mentioned. What is not mentioned is the actual means or happening of the resurrection. We have proof of his death. We have proof of his burial. And then we have proof of his resurrection, but we do not see it. How different the mind of God works to us. God placed his son up on a cross in view of everyone for punishment and for shame. And then he hid the miracle of Jesus' resurrection in a cave that no one could see. And did not let anyone in on the secret until it was accomplished. We don't know the specific moment that Jesus rose from the dead. We know that by the time Mary got there and by the time Peter and John, the other disciple, poked their head in and then went into that tomb, Jesus was already gone. But we do not know the moment that it happened. God hid that most precious miracle and kept it for himself. This leads us then to ask, Is the resurrection really that important? It is. It is. Don't don't get confused. It is that important. Uh, If we turn now to 1 Corinthians and chapter 15, we can see how important the resurrection is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we, could, we can go on. We could have preached the whole message from this chapter because we have in here the explanation of Christ's death and then the proof that he was dead, that he was buried, and then the proof that he was risen in that he was seen. But if we jump down <clears throat> to verse 12, we will see Paul saying how important the resurrection is to our Christian faith. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is vain. Then they which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope of Christ, we are of all men most miserable. The resurrection is extremely important. It is maybe not the most important, but it's right up there. The most important thing we must believe is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. 
Because if Jesus Christ died, taking our sins with him, and he is still dead, then we have no eternal life to look forward to. We only have eternal death. Maybe without punishment, but that would be horrible. That is what the nihilists around us say. They say we are going to die and then that's the end. How hopeless their state is. How hopeless they must be from day to day, thinking that their accumulation of wealth and pleasures in this life is all that they have to look forward to. If Christ be not raised, our faith is vain. This, I think, points out the reason why the four Gospels do not declare us declare to us all of the intricate ins and outs of how the resurrection happened, exactly when it happened, and, and how Jesus managed to do what he did. How did he come out of the, the grave? We know that uh, um, from Luke that the angels moved the stone, but Jesus was already gone. So did he walk through the stone? Or how did this happen? You know, my mind is curious. I wonder these things. How did the resurrection happen? But God left the resurrection a mystery because it requires faith. We must have faith that Jesus rose from the dead. Even at that time, the disciples could not say it is only by sight. They had to believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. And it was a hard thing for them. It was a hard thing for them. And you might say, why did they not believe the resurrection? Hadn't they heard him preaching over and over again? I must go down to Jerusalem. I must be taken by evil men. I must die. (laughs) How many times did he say that? And then he would say things like, I will go away from you. I will not be here, but I will send a comforter. He said those things and they did not hear with ears of understanding because they did not have faith that such a thing was possible or such a thing was necessary. If we go back to John chapter 20, verse 9 We have, for as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Jesus must rise from the dead. This was not an afterthought. This wasn't an add-on. This wasn't a, oh, it just so happens. This was part of the plan, and it was pivotal. Jesus came, yes, to die, but he came to rise from the dead, to be the first fruits of the resurrection. One day, as with Job, I too will stand in this body and I shall see, I shall behold with my eyes the one who saved me. This promise, even in the Old Testament, was believed that there would be a resurrection. And yet the resurrection could not occur without Jesus. He He is the first one to rise again from the dead. The disciples, they did not have much faith at this point. 
And then if we go down a little bit further in John 20, we see Mary. She's quite an interesting character. If you ever get a chance to just study out everything about her, this is Mary Magdalene again, um, just everything in the, in the scripture about what she was involved in, it is quite interesting. Someone who was in the worst place, demons controlling her, and then rescued by Jesus. Someone who was last at the cross, first at the tomb. She was there all the time. And then even after the disciples, Peter and John, ran home, (laughs) she was still there. And she was weeping. We see in verse 11, she stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked in. And she sees two angels And they say unto her in verse 13, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus, and knew not that it was Jesus. Again, we have a failure to understand what is going on. Mary did not recognize that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. That's it, just her name. She turned herself and said, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. There was a failure of faith, but as soon as she heard his voice calling her name, she knew it was him. She was not confused. She was not distracted. She knew that it was Jesus. This brings to mind that passage where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Have you heard Jesus' voice? You may say, John, how does this impact my life today? How does the resurrection impact my day-to-day life? Well, it should impact your life, because without the resurrection... We are condemned to live this life without the power of the resurrection. You see, the one who died to take away our sins, if he is dead still, then our sins might still have power over us until we too die. But with Jesus living, having conquered death and hell, He can stand with us and give us the strength to conquer sin today. Am I preaching sinless perfection? No. Am I preaching a continual um, getting better and better? No. Each day we face the same opportunity to do good and to fail. (laughs) Even after a hundred years of walking with the Lord, we would still be prone to failing. And though we may have walked perfectly yesterday, and if someone has, please tell me how. 
<laughs> but if you walked perfectly yesterday, that does not prevent us from falling again today. We need to continually come to Jesus and ask him to abide with us. To beg him to give us that power that conquers sin and death. We must continually plead for his rebuilding of our life. The soul that does fall on Jesus falls upon a rock that is sure. One that waits till death has taken them and falls on that rock is broken forevermore. We must come to Jesus every day, every moment, and ask him, give us that resurrection power. So we've seen the resurrection. We've seen its importance. We've seen that it's missing and that it requires us to have faith. And I do want to remind us that faith, the definition we often use, faith is the evidence of things not seen. No one saw his death. But we have all seen the evidence of him in others who have received him. And we can take the testimony of those who saw him in those days, whether it was Mary who heard her name, or later in this chapter, chapter 20, Thomas who sees Jesus and reaches forth his hand to touch Jesus. Jesus Christ risen. His resurrection gives us hope for tomorrow. Whether tomorrow brings the end of the world or whether tomorrow brings another day of pain and suffering here, resurrection is our only hope. That Jesus Christ liveth in me. That is what we need. We need to see Jesus. He is risen. Do you see him now? He is not on that cross He is not perpetually suffering there. Yes, he bears the marks of the cross, but he is not there. He is risen, as he said. Death could not hold its sway, but Jesus rose from the grave. Have you been delivered from death? Or does sin still rule in your life? Death is the result of sin. It deadens our senses. It deadens our heart. It makes us impenetrable to mercy, to love, to care for others. All of these signs of deadness can creep into even the most uh, vibrant Christian if we will let it. Let us instead be ever renewed, ever living with life that is bubbling up, that is not stopping, a life that is full and free. Jesus had that kind of life. One day, I would like to have the kind of body Jesus had, where he was able to walk through doors. I think that would be kind of cool. I also think it would be great to not have to need food and water That would be amazing. 
That would be quite a difference from now. And won't it be great when we get to heaven? And as it is said in Revelation, there will be no more death, no more dying, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying. Won't that be amazing? But how amazing is it that today we can walk in light of that? That today we can tell others of a risen Savior who is changing our lives moment by moment and helping us to walk in ways that we are unable to do by ourselves. This should be our message. There is one who has risen from the dead. Any other religion, if their prophet or leader had risen from the dead, would be unable to stop talking about it. And yet, how do often do we stop talking about our risen Lord? Get excited. <laughs> Jesus is risen from the dead. We serve a risen Savior, and he wants to save you today. Jesus died at Passover. That was the time when they remembered the death angel coming over and, as it were, having mercy on the people of Israel but at the same time destroying those around them. Jesus was crucified then, but then he rose again. And that is why we meet on Sunday. You know, if someone asks you, why do you go to church so much? Why do you bother going to church at all? I'm sure you might have heard someone ask that. Your answer should be, because on Sunday... My Savior was risen from the dead. And it is a verifiable fact. And it's the most exciting event to have happened in all of history. You know, completing the Great Wall of China or any other technological marvel that has been done in the last couple thousand years does not stack up against the great, amazing miracle that God worked when Jesus rose from the dead. Never before had it been done. And because of it, we can also be raised up. It is amazing. Get excited about it. Make it your one theme over and over again. I have a risen Savior. He is risen. He is in this world today. And if you do that... If Christ is seen through you, then many others will come to know him as Savior. And that should be one of our greatest um, motivations as Christians. That should be one of our greatest in, uh, aims and goals. To see someone else to know the Savior who is precious to us. You may say today, I'm not that excited I can ask you then, why? Have you never seen the risen Savior? Have you lost your first love? Have you turned your eyes away from the one who is 
all wonderful and beautiful and turn towards the things of this earth? Have your eyes been clouded by the riches of this world? Have you fallen into sins and temptations and given up on a resurrection life? For any of those cases, my pleading with you is that you would come for a fresh look of the Savior. He died for you, and his death was not in vain. And he rose for you. And his resurrection has not ended just because another year has gone by. His resurrection is still just as valid. He is still just as alive today as he was over 2,000 years ago. Come to him. Repent of your sin of unbelief. This was the disciples' main problem, wasn't it? And this is ours too. They were given us as an example. I would not be any better than Peter or John or even Mary. I would fail to recognize my Savior except he called my name. Let's close with a word of prayer. And I do want you to consider while we pray your own state and consider who it is that you have not proclaimed a risen Savior to, that you need to, whether it is a co-worker, family member, or loved one. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you are risen and in the world today. We thank you that you were not held back by death, that the grave did not hold you, and we thank you that it is a mystery and hidden from our eyes. Lord, even in that day, Many had to believe, not through sight, but by faith. And Lord, we come to you believing that you truly did die and believing that your resurrection gives us access to life eternal. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would give us that resurrection life even today, overcoming the sin and death in our own lives that we truly can show your life to those around us. And Lord Jesus, we love you, and we praise you for rising every day. Amen.